0: Welcome to the Richard Roper Podcast. Richard Roper broadcasting to you from the AmericanEagle.com studios in the greater Chicagoland area. How's everybody doing? Thanks, as always, for tuning in. Lots to talk about on this edition of the podcast. Uh, we're going to talk about the latest with the writer's strike. I don't want to get too deep into the weeds on this, guys, but I can speak a little bit and kind of walk you through what this strike is all about. It's uh, a big news from MTV. And uh, we're going to mention Scott Bio. Do you say Bayo? I say bio. Let's call the whole thing off. Uh, Scott Bio, the, uh, the former actor. I guess he's maybe still an actor, but you know, you know him from Joni Loves Chachi and shows like that back in the day. So he's making some news and tons of reviews as well. But first, I want to remind you, the Richard Roper Show is brought to you by AmericanEagle.com Studios. The digital landscape is changing rapidly. And to compete in today's online business environment, you need an experienced partner. Since 1995, AmericanEagle.com has partnered with companies of all sizes, offering web design, web development, e-commerce, mobile apps, and digital marketing to drive your overall business's success because they believe that today's online world is your online opportunity. Visit AmericanEagle.com to get started today. All right, thanks to our friends at AmericanEagle.com. Okay, the writer strike, you've probably seen this. Uh, over the last couple of weeks, the writers, the TV and movie writers who produce and give us all those wonderful words are on strike. Let's talk a little bit about this. The writer strike, uh, the first time, not the first time, but the most recent one uh, was uh, back in 2007 and 2008. It lasted for about 100 days. You might recall if you were around then uh, when the writers went on strike. Uh, that the talk shows, uh, Conan O'Brien famously just uh, uh, spun his wedding ring on his desk to prove how much he needed his writers, and then a lot of them went on hiatus. Uh, and when you go back and look at shows, for example, um, like The Office, and you'll see uh, the history of The Office, and you're like, oh, why were there much fewer episodes uh, in that particular year? It's because of the writer strike. They could only do a handful of episodes. So it has a huge effect on the the final product you're not seeing uh, the fallout from the writer strike immediately because of course the tv shows that you're streaming uh the movies that you're going to see all of those were done before the strike but what's happening right now is that shows are being postponed. Uh, just one example, the final season of Stranger Things. Uh, the thing about the the writing of TV series, in particular with movies, the scripts are pretty much done when they go into production. That sometimes is not the case, but pretty much done. And with TV series, most of it is done, but it's a it's a constant process, especially for an ongoing series where rewrites are done, adjustments are made. Uh, so even if the scripts are are done, they're not in production. They're honoring the Writers Guild. The, the the hugest issue there are there are several issues here. Of course, it all comes down to compensation, but writers are paid per episode in most cases, folks. So there are certain cases where writers are also executive producers. To go back to the Office, a lot of the actors on the show are also writers. Started off as writers, B.J. Novak and Mindy Kaling. And others, and and then their roles on the show expanded. They're, they're writers, they're executive producers. That's why getting producing credit is so important because that translates to more of a traditional salary. And then obviously as an actor, you make money. But the way it works in most cases is that writers are often paid per episode. Now, broadcast series, back in the day, you'd get 22 or even more installments every season streaming series. I I can't think of a single streaming series, whether it's something like Ted Lasso or Succession or Yellow Jackets, you know, series that go multiple seasons. They're usually about eight, eight to 13 episodes. Many, you know, right around there, in some cases, uh, like with uh, Queen Charlotte, which is the prequel to uh, Bridgerton. I think there were just six episodes. So that's a lot less money for the writers. And the other thing is it's about residuals and royalties with TV writers back in the day you would get money when it was on repeat and there was always a big thing you'd hear people actors and writers and others talk about if you hit that hundred episode mark that was a magic mark because that usually meant you were going to go into syndication and you'd get some pieces of the syndication deal as well but if you think about it okay for example a show like Stranger Things it's on Netflix And it's on Netflix forever. You can go back and watch season one. Those writers aren't getting paid for all of the, you know, they count it in hours a lot of times now. They're not getting paid for the extra hours that are watched throughout, you know, the the years and decades. You're just getting that one-term fee. So there's no residuals there. While, of course, uh, the Netflix and Prime Videos and Apple TV Plus and everybody else, they continue to make money if people are watching this stuff. So I think, you know, a lot of legitimate concerns from the writers and another thing I want to mention to you guys is because I know people think okay if someone's got a writing gig on a hit show if you're a writer on Euphoria if you're a writer uh back in the day if you were a writer on The Sopranos you know you're rich and you're set for life that's not really the case yes you get well paid but not the kind of money you're thinking is Kind of the same thing with the Writers Guild as it is with, with the Screen Actors Guild. People say, you know, oh, wow, you're a Hollywood actor. You've been in movies. You've been on TV shows. You're rich. A small percentage of actors and, and writers are indeed quite wealthy. You know, the top of the food chain, the, the top achievers, the ones who have, you know, broken through, you know, the Tina Fey's of the world who do it all. Yes, they make millions and millions of dollars. But if you're a staff writer on a show and you're only getting paid per episode, you're not necessarily getting rich, you know, you make a decent income, but it's, it's a, it's a living wage. And I know firsthand, a lot of people who work in the business. And in addition to writers, we're talking about electricians and assistant directors and all of the jobs, you know, when you see the, the scrolling credits at the end of a TV series, or particularly at the end of a, a huge movie, and it goes on forever. And you see hundreds, literally hundreds of names of people who worked in special effects and makeup artists and drivers and stunt doubles. The vast majority of those people are not zillionaires. They're people who are working hard and and making a good living, but need to keep working. Uh, I know a lot of people here in Chicago, uh, there's Chicago PD, Chicago fire, all the Dick Wolf shows uh, the bear uh, just recently finished uh, shooting their second season here. A number of TV shows and films have shot here through the years. And a lot of the people who work on these shows, I know people who worked on Empire, which was a huge success, but I'm talking about not just writers, but, you know, behind the scenes people, when that show would go into hiatus for six months or seven months, they didn't get paid, folks, at all. They make no money and in some cases apply for and get, in many cases, actually get unemployment because they're not working or they take other jobs. You know, maybe it's working on a commercial. Maybe it's working on uh, the set of an industrial film. And sometimes it's got it. It's got nothing to do with the business. They just take jobs to make ends meet. I'm not telling you that we should say, oh, my God, these writers are on the poverty line. I know there are a lot of people listening to this podcast who are like, listen, I'd, I'd love to make the money that's made by by the writers. But just to put it in perspective, these are not a bunch of millionaires you're seeing on these picket lines asking for even more millions. These are skilled writers who have delivered, again, you know, every, almost every actor will tell you this, any showrunner will tell you this, and they're often writers as well. It all begins and ends with the writing, guys. The great quotes that we remember, whether it's, you know, from Friday Night Lights or Succession or Handmaid's Tale or Breaking Bad and all those actors who, you know, deservedly get the credit because we see them delivering the lines. Someone wrote those lines. And certainly the same thing with movies. So at the recording at the time of this podcast, we're a couple of weeks into the writer's strike. It sounds like they're far apart, and that's a shame uh, for everybody involved. And um, I hope they resolve it. But, guys, it it could go for months, and if it does – Uh, you as the consumer will see the effects of that because you just won't have the the choices that that you normally have as a viewer. So let's hope they can get that resolved. A couple of other things happening in the entertainment world. MTV News has signed off after 36 years. MTV News. Now, some of you of a certain age will remember a time, because now we're going back a long time. You know, at first it sounded like a joke. This was back in the in the eighties and we're like, well, MTV, it was music television. That was the idea behind MTV music videos. And for a while, that's all you really got. You got the famous, uh, you know, uh, Mark Goodman and, uh, uh, all the other, uh, Martha Quinn and all those original, uh, MTV VJs who, by the way, talk about not getting paid. They made almost nothing. They were all radio DJs, but it was just about the music videos. And then they started doing other shows and they did quiz shows and they did spring break things. But MTV News was kind of a big deal. Um, it started off with uh, a single show in 1987 called "The Week in Rock," and that was Kurt Loder. And Kurt Loder is a great journalist and a and a cool guy, and somebody who really was kind of the Walter Cronkite, if you will, the Tom Brokaw, uh, the Barbara Walters, the Diane Sawyer of MTV News, the you know the anchor anchor, if you will. And this is now we're talking about Gen X and even some older millennials, uh, folks like that who over the years really found uh, their news from MTV News, and they did really good work. You know, you had Kurt Loder, you had Tabitha Soren, Gideon Yago, Alison Stewart, and they would cover music and pop culture and politics, but they would do it with an eye toward a younger generation without condescending to the younger generation. And they had a lot of, they would break news. There was a famous town hall meeting with president clinton uh when he was asked a certain question about boxers or briefs let's take a listen mr president the world's dying to know is it boxers or briefs (laughs) usually briefs i can't believe she did that Then they ended up, uh, MTV News did all kinds of town halls through the years with Bill Gates and John McCain and Barack Obama. They covered uh, serious issues. They won Emmys and Peabody Awards. They would often break news, uh, you know, sad news like uh, the death of Kurt Cobain. And that was, you know, Kurt Loder on TV April 8th, uh, 1994. And a lot of, you know, millions of young people tuning in to MTV News. Uh, they've now finally decided that uh, the time has come to pull the plug on MTV News after nearly 40 years. Uh, ironically, uh, Kurt Loder's last appearance at the MTV News desk was in sh- uh, the Showtime series Yellow Jackets, where he's in a fictional segment uh, talking about the missing soccer team. So obviously this is in the flashback uh, section of Yellow Jackets. But MTV News really was an important part of the culture, especially back in the eighties and nineties. So kudos to everybody who was involved with that. We will miss you MTV news. Speaking of missing someone, Scott bio Scott Baio, Scott Baio, Scott Baio. Uh, He was on Happy Days and a bunch of other stuff. In recent years, he's one of these actors. And again, I've always said this. uh, uh, If you want to be a conservative and, you know, deliver your views on social media or liberal, good for you. He's pretty hardcore conservative. Uh, He announced that he is moving out of California saying that it's not a safe place anymore. And he said that homelessness is bringing down property values. So he's going to move to Florida Uh, Scott Bayo has a Woodland Hills home that's worth about four million dollars. I don't know how much the property values are actually going down there because of homelessness. And this is a guy who claims to be a compassionate Christian, but he's moving. He's leaving California, which always uh, brings up the question: How can we miss you if you don't leave? Uh, I don't. I said I I don't even know if this guy's acting anymore. He had a lot of, you know, he, he had a lot of success back in the day, and I think you know, pocketed a lot of coin. He wasn't very good you know just kind of a tiger beat cover boy type of kid and like a lot of you know actors get their breaks because they, they 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 look good but um he's leaving so just just in case you were wondering what happened to that guy uh i want to also mention we were talking we mentioned uh briefly ted last so a couple of minutes ago nick Mohammed who plays nate on the show and if you haven't watched the show this won't mean much to you but those who have watched it know that he's the uh the guy that kind of betrayed, not kind of, he betrayed Ted and everybody uh, and uh, now is uh, managing a rival club. And in season three, they're kind of giving him a little bit of redemption arc. And uh, he responded to the criticism on Twitter that they're not buying that Nate is now a good guy again. And here's what Nick Mohammed said on Twitter. Quickest of reminders that Ted Lasso is still a work of fiction, but to those demanding, I justify Nate's arc, has he done enough to redeem himself? No. But let's remain curious, there's more to come. Uh, I I always think it's a little bit dicey and questionable and a minefield for actors and other creatives to get involved with the fans on Twitter, but good for him for responding that way. Um, There's a lot of backlash against uh, Ted Lasso in season three. I still love the show, but a lot of its most uh, ardent fans and some TV critics and writers have said, you know, it's become too self-righteous, too serious. They've lost the comedy. Some of the humor is repeating itself. This happens with almost every beloved series right around season three or four where it's really hard, first of all. And we go back to the writing for the scripts to keep up. Uh, it's really hard to hit a home run every time uh, you look at Seinfeld. You look at, you know, almost any show you mentioned, there's a season or two where people are like, yeah, they're kind of off the mark there. And then sometimes they rebound. In case of Ted Lasso, I think this is going to be the final season. I understand what people are saying, but. I think it's also sometimes, you know, people get so worked up about something new and love being the ones who discovered it. And then if it becomes super popular, they're like, ah, it's not as good as it used to be. See this all the time with bands where people discover a musical act and they're all about it. And then on their fifth album, the band breaks free and sells 2 million units and goes on stadium tours. And those fans who were the first ones there are like, well, they sold out. They're not as good as they used to be. It's human nature to kind of, go sour on something when it becomes too popular and you were there first so i still think ted lasso is great all right tell you what let's take a break and hear about portillo's and then we're going to come back and talk about some new movies and tv shows All right, kids, let's talk about Portillo's. It's one of my favorite places to eat on the planet Earth. My delivery history will bear this out. I also happen to live within walking distance of one of the Chicago Portillo's. Yes, that's right. I'm that lucky. It is amazing. You could order from the restaurant or the drive-thru, but if it's not near you, you can go to Portillo's.com, Portillo's.com, and order. They got French fries. They got all kinds of comfort food the amazing hot dogs, the Italian beef, the Italian sausage, some really good salads, by the way, if you want to take it a little bit easy because you want to have a little bit room left for the chocolate cake, the best chocolate cake in the world. Think about it, portillos.com, P-O-R-T-I-L-L-O-S.com. That's how you spell it, portillos.com. my baby you wasted FBI time trying to cut a deal for yourself and seven agents were killed this conversation now takes place on our terms Adrian Lavelle and Hector Alvarez are still out there you and I both know the only way you protect that child is to disappear and if I don't they'll find you both of you they're using her to get to me All right, that's a clip from The Mother on Netflix. Jennifer Lopez is in action star hero mode here. She plays, stick with me on this, folks, and listen, J-Lo looks great. She's, I don't know, 52 or 53. She's done some physical roles all throughout her career, but this is a stretch, I'm gonna say. A stretch so much that I think you could pull a hamstring trying to believe it. In this movie, Jennifer Lopez plays a former army sniper who did tours in Afghanistan. Then when she got out of the army, she became a mercenary working for arms dealers. Then she turns a state's witness against the arms dealers. She's also pregnant by one of the arms dealers, hence the name, the mother. Uh, They never give her character a name in the movie. She's just the mother. I hate that. I hate when they do that. Just give the character a name. Uh, And then the movie uh, flash forwards 12 years. The mother's in hiding. Uh, She wasn't able to keep her daughter because her daughter would be in danger. Then she finds out her 12 year old daughter who she's never met is in danger and she goes to save her. And we have all these crazy, ludicrous action sequences, by the way, admittedly well filmed, but it is the most ridiculous setup and deep into the movie. Spoiler alert, mom takes the 12-year-old to her remote hideaway in Alaska and teaches her how to drive and shoot and be a killer herself so they can take on the bad guys who are inevitably going to find them in Alaska. Some of the most ridiculous uh, sequences I've seen in any movie in recent years. Two stars for the mother. We're not recommending that one. Although, you got to The last scene in this movie is so fucking ridiculous. I almost want you to watch it so you can share... In my pain. Now, the same week that J-Lo has a movie coming out, Ben Affleck has a movie coming out. And he's also playing a guy with a very special set of skills. And he also has a daughter who gets kidnapped. But this is a movie called Hypnotic. It's very, very different (laughs) from the mother. Uh, Boy, I hate to, I I, I don't want to give too much away here. I actually like this film. It's called Hypnotic. And basically, Ben Affleck plays an Austin, Texas police detective whose daughter is kidnapped, and then he goes into kind of this uh, Matrix-type world to try to find her. And a lot of the the movie here is about what's real and what's not. It reminded me a little bit about uh, reminded me a little bit of uh, uh, Memento, the great Christopher Nolan film. Definitely, The Matrix. Not everything is real. We go deeper and deeper into the rabbit hole. Very well filmed. Cool special effects. So I am actually recommending Hypnotic. Here's another series that's coming out, uh, FX on Hulu. It's called Class of 09. I want to talk to you guys a little bit about the fact that just about every damn dramatic limited series out there is told in a time-hopping manner. We go back five years, we go forward six years, we go back two weeks, we go back and forth and back and forth. And listen, that's a it's a time-honored uh, uh, way of telling stories. It's been around forever in, in all forms of uh, drama, and even comedy. But it's getting kind of ridiculous now. We get nothing in chronological order. It's all flashbacks and flash-forwards and hazy memory sequences. In just recent weeks, uh, everything from Silo to the Fatal Attraction Reboot to Daisy Jones and the Six to the Kiefer Sutherland series Rabbit Hole, we're bouncing around timelines. We're bouncing here. We're bouncing there. I mentioned Yellow Jackets. That's a series where it really makes a lot of sense because it's set in two timelines. And what happens in one timeline is constantly informing our understanding and appreciation for what's happening in the other timeline. So now we got this series called Class of 09 FX on Hulu, and it's about these FBI agents across three timelines, uh, the year 2009, present day, 2023, and 2034. It's very timely because part of it's about the FBI in this fictional series using artificial intelligence as a way to stop crimes almost before they occur, which was kind of the plot of, remember, Minority Report, a great movie. Uh, It's got Brian Tyree Henry, uh, Kate Mara, terrific cast. But I got to say, guys, there were certain times, even though the years are distinct and there's some digital aging and makeup, you know, because some of the characters are aging 25 to 30 years. There are certain times where I couldn't figure out if we were in 2023 or 2034, and that's not good. I am recommending the series, but I think you'll see what I mean. I wish they had just calmed down with the jumping of the timeline in the case of this series, I think it would have been fine just to tell the story. Here's what happened in 2009 for two episodes. Now we're gonna jump forward to 2023. Now we're gonna go to 2034. The, the jumping back and forth does not serve the story, actually makes it more complicated. Wanna end on a super positive note, one of the best movies of the year. I gave it four stars. You can get all my uh, written reviews at chicagosuntimes.com. Uh, it's a movie called Blackberry. And again, if you're of a certain age, actually almost any age, if you're old enough to be listening to this podcast, you probably remember or your folks had Blackberries. uh, It's a pretty remarkable film. Uh, It's directed by Matt Johnson. It's essentially very similar in structure and form and even the indie-style cinematography to a social network. Uh, The difference is at the end of a social network, the social network, uh, we're told that Facebook has grown exponentially and of course it's grown much, much bigger than the movie that came out, you know, the numbers cited in a movie that came out in 2010 or the recent movie air, which is all about the advent of the single player contract, the uh, Michael Jordan signing with Nike. And at the end, you know, and it's set in the eighties primarily. And at the end of Air, we're told, of course, that Nike has gone on to become this, you know, incredible global phenomenon. The difference here is at the end of BlackBerry. Spoiler alert: we find out that you know it didn't work out well for BlackBerry. At its height, BlackBerry controlled forty-five percent of the cell phone market. In the year twenty twenty-three, it has zero percent of the cell phone market. So. This is the story of this amazing rise to fame and fortune for the founders of BlackBerry, but also uh, the disastrous fall. And and it's interesting because this is a company in in Ontario, Canada. They they weren't in Silicon Valley. They weren't a bunch of Ivy Leaguers, but they were brilliant Canadian tech whizzes who designed the BlackBerry and the big breakthrough, I think in the late 90s, and the movie does a great job of walking us through all of this. Uh, The big thing with the BlackBerry was they figured out a way that you could reliably get your email and make phone calls on your handheld device and you wouldn't keep crashing the server. Other, other companies had tried to do that, but once more than a few hundred people got on the network, it would crash. And they figured out a way to get around that. Technologically, it was brilliant. They made huge deals with companies like Verizon. And the BlackBerry was it, man. You know, you could get it in like a, with a blue cover or the black and it had that raised keyboard. With the little clicking, that satisfying clicking thing, it was the whole thing was remember you had to type with just your thumbs. That was the big thing with the blackberry. And you know the the common phrase was crackberry because people were addicted to their blackberry. that had never happened before. They had people had portable phones for you know and pagers, but they didn't keep looking at it because there was nothing to look at. You either got a call or a page. But once you could get your email and send messages and essentially in real time, People were hunched over their Blackberries and became addicted to them, and they—they—they—they they, they, they were the deal, man. They were the shit. If you had a Blackberry, all these hip-hop songs back from the day were always mentioning uh, Blackberry. Jay Z called it Blueberry, and then came along the iPhone in 2007. And this movie does a brilliant job of chronicling uh, the rise and fall of Blackberry, uh, how they oversold, how many Blackberries they could manufacture, and how they dismissed when they first saw the iPhone. They were equal parts intimidated, but also like, this is a toy. This is never going to work. It doesn't even have a keyboard. It's just all screen. Nobody's going to want this. And uh, spoiler alert, that's not how it played out. So the movie's called BlackBerry. It's very funny. It's very smart. It's got great work from the cast, brilliant screenplay, one of the best movies of the year. That's how we're going to end this edition of the Richard Roper Podcast with a four-star review, my friends. Thanks so much to everybody as always and the team at AmericanEagle.com. I'm Richard Roper, and we will talk soon.